Hey, it's Nick Austin, and it's a special time of year for us on Detroit Today, one of the two times per year that we engage in our on-air fundraiser, doing things a little bit differently for you, as this is the time of year that we are connecting with you about helping to support the station and keep bringing you great conversations. We certainly have them here. That's why we love that you listen, and they don't happen without your support. To do things a little special for the podcast, we are going to bring back one of those conversations about Detroit and the people that make the city special or issues that are very important to us here. But as I mentioned, none of that happens without your support. And now is a great time to get involved and become a member of Team DET. Help keep the community that you're a part of strong. We encourage you go online at WDET.org slash give, or you can call us 800-959-9338. Those are two ways to make a big impact by just giving a gift of support in whatever level makes sense for you. You can find out more information there, even gifts that we can have to say a little bit of a thank you uh, as to helping keep this station strong. You can go to WDET.org slash thanks to find out about those. But thank you for downloading the podcast. And like I said, that great conversation, one of our favorites for this week, comes next on the podcast. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you're with us. Detroit is so many things to so many people, and the thing that runs through my head just constantly when I'm here is how much it has changed, especially over the last 30 years. There have been a lot of ups and downs. And if you drive through the city, if you drive through places that you think of as familiar, you're always seeing something different right now, I think. Uh, From the neighborhood where I was born on the near west side, near Livernois and Grand River, to areas downtown on the east side, northwest, it's a really different place than it used to be. Stephen McGee is someone who understands this really well. He has been around the city for the last 18 years, and over that time, he's watched the city change as well. He's a longtime filmmaker and photographer in our city, and I guarantee you probably have seen his images from time to time. I love, for instance, when I'm watching Lions football or Tigers baseball on a network, and they have a cutaway to a commercial and they show a picture or a scene from the city, often they're pictures that I know Stephen took. He's been writing recently about all of the things that have been changing in Detroit as he's been taking pictures and shooting film, literally millions of images, thousands of hours of film. And he recently published an article about some of his work in our magazine. I'm really excited to have Stephen in studio to talk about all of the different frames that he has seen of Detroit and how they have changed over time. Stephen McGee, welcome to Detroit Today. 
it's honestly completely an honor to be here, uh, to be in front of this audience and to talk to um, a city that we all love so much. So thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I should also note that uh, Stephen and I met a long time ago when we were both working for the Detroit Free Press, uh, but we were also neighbors for a while in downtown Detroit. So we've known each other for uh, a long time. I'm really looking forward uh, to this conversation. So let's go back to the beginning, though, Stephen. You moved to the city in 2005. What attracted you here, and what did you expect to find through your lenses? Yeah, it was 2005. I had just traveled the world for a few nonprofit groups, often to places that had some of the most important ruins that some of the most important societies uh ever have made you know like the Colosseum, the pyramids the parthenon you know then over to cambodia to Angkor wat and in those experiences i also saw people um living amongst those and then also for nonprofit groups i worked in places like rwanda and uganda and angola in these societies that had incredible um recent history that I could have just looked at, but saw something so deep with the people. And so coming back to California from these amazing experiences, I just kind of questioned what my purpose was. You know, honestly, I lived through some pretty intense scenarios. Like I was almost killed in Uganda, you know, all these, you know, when you're working in, in, in challenging areas, it's, it's pretty intense. And so the next day Detroit called the Detroit free press was like, Hey, do you want to move out and help start our video department? So sight unseen in 2005, I was like, yes, completely, you know, and, and people during that time, if I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to move to Detroit and literally they would take a step back and be like, why, <laughs> you know, I mean, you remember that time? I do. You I know, do. I remember when I came home in 2007 from, from uh, Baltimore and Washington, everybody I told where that I was leaving and where I was going asked why they, they, they literally said, your career will die if you go back to Detroit. I think that's kind of what drew me closer to my first day here. You know, that kind of idea of underrepresented stories wasn't really a, a coined phrase back mm -hmm, then, mm -hmm. you know, but something that I had just seen around the world with beautiful people uh, drew me to be like, well, that makes me just want to go there more. If everybody is telling me like, don't go there, I'm like, that's, I want to see the people there. So. Day one, of course, the buildings were very interesting. I mean, the lens of the world focused on those buildings, you know, and, and came to Detroit for what Detroit didn't have anymore. And I noticed that story kind of repeating itself year after year. And every year that it kept on repeating, I just was able through, honestly, God's grace to see a deeper side of humanity. You know, I'd traveled the world searching for the deepest levels of the human experience, and what I found in Detroit, I think, is one of the most important national narratives today. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about the things that you encountered when uh, you got here to Detroit. 2005 is a really different era in Detroit than it is now. That's just a few years before I came home. <clears throat> there was some excitement about the idea of, of change and positive change uh, in the city but there wasn't a whole lot of evidence of it in so many places that now I think uh, we, we, could, we could really point to and say, 
this is this is really different. Um, so let's talk about what you what you saw through the lens when you got here. Well, I think the human experience you see people for what they can be, or you see, you kind of judge them instantly, right? And so same thing with buildings. You know, I saw a landscape of buildings that I instantly knew was bigger than a zip code narrative, right? And so of course there's beauty to me in that, uh, in those buildings that, you know, became so unpopular to photograph, Mm -hmm. but right next door was usually incredible life and incredible people. And it just was amazing to me that the world just didn't turn their tripod head to the right or to the left to find those people because I'm like, wow, these buildings are incredible. But but look at this person over here holding down their block. Look at this person over here supporting their neighbor, loving on their people. And I think I think that I think this, that strength in the neighborhoods, you know, as a white Californian outsider <laughs> took me about four to five years to really get into, you know, but that commitment, it wasn't like, look, I, I, I lost one of my chopsticks yesterday while, or a couple days ago while I was eating. Like I'm not an organized person. I'm like, where did one chopstick go? So I wasn't like going out to tell this massive story on Detroit, but Detroit kept on letting me in. The people here kept on showing me that I could be a part of the community and it was because I'm like, I have a camera and an open heart. And I think the city here works with that. Yeah. yeah. They're like, what are you, you know, I'm bringing this to the table and, and I'm here to serve. I mean, it's one of the things that I, that I think is really interesting to, to observe is the way that as somebody who is from here and has been here most of his life, the way that people who are not from here come to this place and and experience uh, Detroit, right? I mean, as you point out, there are buildings to experience and there is uh, ugliness to experience uh, in, in many ways. Uh, the, the physical deterioration of the city is something that, that I think shocks a lot of people once they come and see it. But if you talk to just one Detroiter and actually talk to one Detroiter, actually uh, invest in the idea of trying to get to know them and their lives and their experience in their community, uh, you find this warmth and this this uh, openness that doesn't get associated with the city in the national narrative a whole lot. I mean, I always say, when I say people don't know Detroit, I'm talking about Detroiters. People don't know Detroiters, right? They know these images that that you know, are transmitted all over the world of, of what we look like, but they don't know us. And that experience of coming here and trying to get to know us, I mean, I think it's just really tremendous. Yeah, I feel like there's two parts of that. There's one where I was trying to counter that narrative by informing it or infilling it with human interactions. Um, you know, 2007 to 2009, I was... I had just left the Detroit Free Press after winning two national Emmys with an incredible team led by Nancy Andrews and um, I Detroit. remember those days. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Kathy Kalashevsky. I mean, like these people, the photographers, the late David Gilkey, you know, all these people knew the city so well and I was able to work with them and, and that leadership allowed those awards. Um, but then after that, I resigned and I, I, I was in the streets daily with my camera and I ended up only making like $9,000 a year uh, for three years in a row. And my mortgage was $12,000. And so I was just in the streets, like trying to find these stories. And I came across 
you know, Kali Sweeney from the downtown or from the Detroit boxing gym. Mm-hmm. And I just showed up and, you know, that I didn't know where that footage was going. Um, but I felt like the strength of him was a good representation of the strength of the people. And, uh, and what I didn't see when I got the request from the, from the major media and the major, um, players around the world who wanted stories here that I've worked for was a desire to connect the, um, the black population, the city is a black city, the black population with the beauty here. And I think that's something that was reciprocated through an interview I did with Marsha Music. Mm. Um, If you don't know her work, get into that work real quick. Um, And she and I were talking for this Hour Magazine piece, which took me literally 400 hours to write because I'm not a writer. But it's, you know, when the story's inside of you, when you, when you, it's like, it's not a passion project, right? (laughs) It's like, it's part of, part of who you are. Um, When you find that, then you have to find the words to, 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 to cast that vision. So talking to Marsha and this association and almost a disassociation between the beautiful book tower and the beautiful buildings here and, and the springtime, the disassociation actually maybe it's direct or indirect, but it hasn't been associated with the black population here. And, and that's the core of my work. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to do that. It's just, that's what's happening, you know? And so it's been, a, that's been, a that's lot of what's my, unfolding in, in front of us. Well, I think it's, you know, it's what, it's what's unfolding in front of us. It's, it's important. It's nationally important. It's internationally important just because, you know, I think with the hour magazine piece and in general in my life's work, the narrative that Detroit was great died in 1967 with the uprising and is back again from the inside of the city to the, you know, from every level that I've worked at, people are, are, are not believing that narrative. And so trying to get ways to talk about that into the popular culture Mm -hmm. is what kind of my hour magazine piece was about. You know, I started off by saying like Detroit is the, Paris of the twenties, the Berlin of the eighties, the San Francisco of the sixties. But to me, it's even more, you know, and this black welcoming city is on the cusp of leading the world once again. And in many ways it already is. And I I mean that, right. You know, and I think that kind of actually looking at beyond just the past 60 years and saying with the great migration, like that's, we're building on strong black neighborhoods that have been building uh, ecosystem of content or of, of ecosystem of, of trust, of commerce, of, of life, of music, you know, like Bryce Detroit says, like there's things here that you might not see that are happening yeah. that, that, you know, that, but that and you can feel and you, and totally. you, you feel it by interacting with us, by interacting with Detroiters. Yeah. Uh, and, and there isn't another way. It's not another way to tell that story. And I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in, in talking about this, but every day I try and learn more and more about just, you know, like conversation with Marcia Music or fame from Livernoy Avenue of Fashion or Yvette Rock. You know, these people that like I've known for more than 10 years and, you know, I, I kind of, I'm like, am I, is how I'm talking about this, you know, can it be informed in a different way so that I can speak about it correctly? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to talk with Stephen McGee, longtime filmmaker and photographer here in the city of Detroit, about his work, about our city, the way it's changing. I want to get going with you, our listeners, on the phones and on social. What do you make of Detroit? What are some of your favorite places here in the city? Who are some of your favorite people in Detroit? We're talking about how you don't know Detroit if you don't know Detroiters. Who are the Detroiters who define that Detroit experience for you? Uh, Also talk about how the city has changed, how you're witnessing change here uh, in Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Stephen McGee, a longtime filmmaker and photographer here in the city. He has uh, an article that he recently published in our magazine. It uh, captures his time here in Detroit, uh, but also shares some of the archive of millions of images and thousands of hours of film he has uh, of the city. Uh, We were just talking about the idea of trying to get to know Detroit the way Stephen had to. He moved here in 2005. Uh, He's originally from California. He got to know the city by getting to know Detroiters uh, rather than point the lens just at the physical landscape here. He started to point it at Detroiters and ask us about our city and how we experience it, what our expectations are, and why we love it so much. Uh, Before we get to listeners, Stephen, we were talking during the break about an observation uh, that that you're making right now about some similarities, I guess, between Detroit and what has happened here and what is happening here and what's happening on your native West Coast, uh, where there's also an awful lot of change going on. I want you to share that with the listeners. So in general, I think it's the most important time right now to secure and uplift local narratives that have been overshadowed by the popular narrative of this comeback story, which Mm -hmm. I don't really ever say those words. Um, And there's a couple reasons why, just because in general that's important. But then also, I truly believe that the world is coming to the Midwest in the next 10 to 15 years. And when you look at the center of the Midwest, we have strong cities um, like Cleveland, also that has been, you know, possibly over over negative, you know, stories have come from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, kinda, you can go around the entire coast. Um, but when you look at the center of the Great Lakes, we have Detroit. And when I was raised in California, my parents bought their house in 1984, way before the tech boom, outside of San Francisco. In 96, we sold for around $400,000, which was not a huge gain. Um, but my childhood home went up to about $3 million. Yeah. You know, like over now it would be worth, yeah, yeah, over the court, well, before COVID, uh, over the course of about, you know, 30 years. And, but there wasn't a population shift. 
there was just an increase in jobs. And those jobs were all based on tech. So the only industry in, I, this is where I might, be, might not want to fact check me right now, but <laughs> I think auto industry was one of the biggest industries to centralize in Detroit mm -hmm. from 52 to the 60s it mm -hmm. decentralized. The only major industry to centralize after that was tech on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And I'm just seeing these breadcrumbs of a narrative arc because I'm trying to find purpose for my 18 years here, you know, and in general, if I just tell a two hour story uh, in a documentary, which I'm still trying to figure out um, funding for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If I just tell a story about what's happened in the past 18 years, I think that's an incredible story to tell. And there's a lot of people who also, who also are telling stories from that. But then I also look at just the potential and I'm trying just to navigate where it belongs, but drip by drip, the West Coast is decentralizing the tech industry. And that might not be okay to say. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I still don't know, but San Francisco currently has more vacant homes than Detroit, which is insane to say. Yeah. Because those aren't $200,000 homes. Right. Those are five to $50 million yeah. homes. Their largest landowner defaulted on a $500 million loan. Like those are huge things. We yeah. know about the Silicon Valley Bank, mm -hmm. but it's really, I mean, there's just there's a, a ripple effect. There's a uh, ripple effect. So then when you're looking at where they're going, you know, they're going to the Midwest cities, they're going, you know, they might just hit like the Mojave Desert. They might hit Salt Lake City, but Salt Lake City is about to not have a lake. Like it's like, they're like five years away from not having a lake, which yeah. will be the worst asthma in the, in the country, they say. So when you look at every single national narrative from rising sea levels to access to fresh water, to access to land, to centralizing, you know, and then you look at narratives like the great people of Michigan Central Station, I just have to say it's an honor to be a part of the documentation there and, you know, hearing Josh and, and that team talk about their future vision at this time in the national narrative, I think it's not just a singular thing that's happening yeah. like we are a city that's about to in many ways like i say lead the world again yeah. and everyone's come i it's, think everyone's coming here i do i, yeah. I, I think the, you know the perspective of what's happening someplace else and how it might affect us is so important and it's one of the the uh, more elusive parts of life here we tend to be pretty insular uh, when we think about our city and we think about ourselves and, and things that are happening. And we don't always look at what's going on elsewhere that might really change the narrative here. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that, that you brought that up. I have not heard anyone uh, put it quite like that before. And I got kind of nervous talking about that, but I also, you <laughs> well, know. It, look, it's a, it's a prediction. I mean, who knows yeah. what, which parts of it will, will come true or not. But the, the observation itself is is valuable to those of us, I think, who live here and think a lot about what's next and what the future might look like. And I, I also just want to kind of say, like, I listened heavily during the Little Caesars um, uh, City Council Day. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted mm -hmm. just to hear how people were talking about the city. And I just want to encourage everybody to to position their conversation about the city from a from a position of strength. The strength that we all know that we have here, the strength that you know you're, you you have inside of you because you've just been through whatever you've just been through. Yeah. Because it's, I, I heard a lot of like, oh, if we just had this or just had that, then we're going to be a good city. And I'm like, I just want to encourage people wherever you're sitting today just to know that your story is important and this, yeah. and this is all part of that. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Gay in Highland Park. Gay, welcome to the show. 
Well, hello, how are you? Good. Uh, I wanted to say that I arrived in in the Detroit area with a bias toward the beauty of of not only Highland Park but the Detroit area, and um, it's remained with me ever since. I, my father was a prize-winning photographer in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up in the dark room with him as a child. The whole family was artists, and uh, and uh, I was in the next generation that was designated to do, go into the training for it and everything. So I won prizes in photography as a kid, mm. actually, and in art as well. And when I got here, we we discovered the arts and music music community here in Highland Park, which is pretty uh, incredible. Yeah. And uh, so we were part of that scene. Uh, the artist Lowell Blalow was doing pictures of art, uh, doing his artwork about Detroit at the time, right on the mm-hmm. two doors down from me. Mm. And uh, my husband at the time uh, was a musician. He was working with some of the musicians as a vocal coach. And uh, we were we were very happy with... Uh, uh, being here, yeah. we we were we were mostly white, but at the same time, we got along per- perfectly well with everybody yeah. in the black community. And, and well, and, and very, gay, very connected. You know that 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 connection between Highland Park and Detroit, and and the the kind of um, lack of distinction, I suppose, uh, the idea that Highland Parkers are Detroiters. I always, I always kind of say that. I mean, I, I know that people from Highland Park are very proud that they're from Highland Park and not Detroit, but it is part of our, our community. And I, I, I love, I love those memories. Uh, Steve, we're going to run out of time in about a minute and a half. Um, but I do want to have you talk just a little about what's next for you. What are you working on? Uh, I have a shoot coming up with Jessica Caremore um, that's going to be heavily focused on Detroit. Um, can't say who it's exactly for, but it should be pretty sweet, um, and that's in May. But I also, you know, just moving forward, I want the next five to ten years to lift up the voices here. I think it's a interesting um, thing that sh- she was bringing up. You know, every, a guy named Andre from New Lab was like, there's shoe boxes across the city with happy moments of families from the 80s and 90s. And I just think that's amazing to think about, right? And you can't find that on the internet. You can find everything on the internet, but you can't find positive black stories from the 80s and 90s to the 70s like like I'd want to be able to access. Black Detroiters on Instagram is doing that really great right Uh now, uh you know, and other people are too, but... You know, my next goal for my my personal self is to, like, you know, if I can contribute that with that at all, that'd be amazing. But also, you know, this collection of content that I have, it's not about one narrative arc or one lens, like I often say. And at the same time, I want to be responsible with the things I've seen. And I, I have a huge plan on how to get this footage and content out. Um, and I'm I'm trying to figure out uh, partners. I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, that kind of big stuff because I feel like our time is now and the city's the city's the most I think important narrative arc in this in this nation. Yeah. All right, Stephen McGee, uh it's always a lot of fun to talk with you and I'm really glad you came into the studio today to be part of the show. Thanks so much and congratulations again on the hour. Well thank you so much everybody. I appreciate you guys. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. If you like this show, you get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your 
your friends and your neighbors, your relative, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.